when my parents brought me to this gender therapist from the first appointment, he affirmed me as a male. He started calling me he, him, and I didn't have a name, a new name picked out at that point. So I was still going by cat, but he started calling me he, him. And by appointment number three, he had already suggested testosterone. Welcome to Shout Your Cause with Sally Hendrick, a digital magazine where you can get found, get heard, and get inspired with content that challenges us to be globally minded. Our focus is on raising awareness around social justice issues, cultural differences, and to bring you the people dedicating their lives to tackling challenging topics as their way of giving back. Let us be your advocate to make your voices heard around the world. The courage it takes to challenge gender dysphoria is beyond most people's scope of understanding. Listen to the story of a woman who goes by Kat, who started talking about this at the tender age of five, then brought it up again in her teens, and then took physical measures in her 20s. Before anything else, I'm an artist and and a musician. I have known that I wanted to do music since I was very young, like two years old, I started singing and I come from a musical family as well. So as a child, we performed a lot together. We did like family concerts and um, I'm also a music producer and I've produced three studio albums. But another theme throughout my life is that I have been gender non-conforming and I also uh, suffered from what I would now call gender dysphoria from the time I was around five years old. And my earliest memory of that was asking my mom if it was possible to change gender or change sex and her not knowing much about transitioning, particularly females transitioning to male. That wasn't really a widely known thing back then. Uh, You know, she told me it wasn't possible that she knew of some some men who had transitioned to be women, but uh, not the other way around. So for a long time, I just kind of let that go. And you know, uh, for various reasons, I felt uncomfortable with my biological sex. I, um, you know, I continued to to sort of feel like I was meant to be born a boy, but um, I kind of, you know, I just thought it wasn't possible to do anything about that. So um, that kind of stayed constant until about 13 years old when I was going through puberty. And that was when uh, so, so I'm a, I'm a bit older. I'm uh, a lot of people think I, I look younger than I am, but I'm actually 31. So uh, when I was 13 was like the early 2000s. And at that point I had consistent internet access and I was uh, browsing the internet and um, I ended up, I don't remember exactly how I found it, but I found a website specifically for uh, females, you know, attempting to transition to male and the way it was presented on that website is that it was possible to fully change sex from, from female to male. And that, you know, you, you started with functional female genitalia and ended up with basically, you know, male genitals, exactly like, like any other man. And so looking at that, I, I thought maybe that was something I would want to do. And, and at that point I started identifying as trans. Um, I came out to, uh, the first thing that I did was just kind of changing my style a little bit. I'd always been sort of uh, all over the place style style wise. Like sometimes I'd uh, dress more masculine, but other times I I did still wear dresses and stuff. But 
you know, at that point I kind of stopped wearing the dresses as much and started presenting myself in, in more of a boyish way. And a couple of years later, I came out to my parents uh, who took me to a gender therapist. And uh, so this is the first signs of something sort of fishy happening. And part of why I'm talking about what I'm talking about today. And that is that when my parents brought me to this gender therapist who was in Sacramento, I'm, I'm from California. So they drove me over an hour to see this person. And from the first appointment, he affirmed me as a male. He started calling me he, him, and I didn't have a name, a new name picked out at that point. So I was still going by cat, but he started calling me he, him. And by appointment number three, he had already suggested testosterone uh, for me to start injecting myself with testosterone. Kat's story is not unusual. Many people who go to gender therapists or doctors who offer gender affirming care, which can include social as well as physical aspects towards transitioning, end up being told right away that what they're experiencing is the full truth of who they are. So at this point, I was still a minor. I was 17 years old. You know, looking back on it, especially, it was just kind of concerning because I was also coming in with, you know, some trauma that I hadn't worked out uh, from my childhood. And I suffered from a severe eating disorder as well. I'd been hospitalized for anorexia. I had, you know, various other mental health issues as well. Uh, depression, anxiety, just honestly, like a whole ADHD, a whole laundry list full of issues. So, um, so even at that time, I didn't feel like I was ready to start testosterone, um, for one thing, because my parents weren't fully sold on my gender identity, especially given my history with, you know, mental illness. And, uh, I was also worried about my singing voice because, you know, I'd been a singer my whole life and I knew testosterone would drastically change my voice. I, I just thought it would get deeper though. Like I didn't really know much about that at that point. And so, you know, for quite a few years, I kind of went back into the closet. Um, I, I attempted going to college and I, I was there for a few years, but I, uh, my mental health issues and gender dysphoria, et cetera. Um, I, I developed addictions as well and just kind of, uh, had to drop out because I, I wasn't doing very well mentally or physically. And, uh, so yeah, for, for several years I was in the closet. I, I dated some people who I was afraid to come out to because I just thought they would break up with me if I told them the truth. And, uh, finally in my late twenties, I was just desperate. Like I felt like I tried everything else and there was just no way for me to be happy as a woman. Would you rather work or would you rather play? If we're going to go through all of this business building stuff, it better be for something that we love doing, right? Take a moment to do this quick life purpose challenge to discover what makes you truly happy. It's free. Visit sallyhendrick.com forward slash life purpose. You know, the narrative that um, that's popular with trans activism today is that medical transition is the best way to prevent suicide. And, you know, that, that if you have gender dysphoria, medical transition is, is basically the way to go. So I believe that, especially, you know, being that I was someone who had already suffered from mental health issues, I'd already been suicidal in the past and had, you know, attempted, I'd had uh, two attempts at this point, 
so I was just like, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to try it. And I just was attached to this idea that it would make me much happier and just completely like overhaul my mental health. And so I ended up starting testosterone and how I got the testosterone is in California, it's actually shockingly easy to get access to these hormones. I, I thought there'd be some kind of mental health evaluation or uh, some kind of re required number of visits with a mental health professional, et cetera, something like that. But um, I just called up Planned Parenthood because I heard that they provided these services. And um, I talked to a doctor from there for around 30 minutes and was prescribed over the phone just like that. And, you know, I was forthcoming about my, most of my mental health issues. I uh, like, you know, I definitely shared about my eating disorder and, you know, depression, anxiety and, and things like that. But, you know, the way I was kind of presenting it as I was, I was psycho psychoanalyzing myself and just saying that, well, I think it's due to the gender dysphoria though. Like, I think that's really the underlying issue and that these other issues would go away if I started transitioning. And, you know, this doctor just kind of took me at face value with that and just wrote me the prescription. And I drove and pick it up, picked it up at CVS the same day. And then, you know, with, for me, within just a few months, um, like initially I felt great after starting testosterone. Um, but then after just a few months, I started to have health issues, um, which I was still, you know, I was still not willing to give up this idea that medical transition would transform my life. But then the thing that really just, it broke my heart. It made me re-examine all of my existing beliefs on transition, uh, was when I lost my singing voice, um, not only did my voice just get deeper, but it, uh, it became painful to speak or sing. It felt like there was a barrier in my throat when I would vocalize. And, um, that was just like, I felt like I couldn't express myself as an artist. I couldn't record, I couldn't perform. And at that point I just realized like, what have I done to myself? <laughs> um, you know, gender seems so trivial compared to like, you know, music, I feel like is part of like my purpose for being on this planet. And, um, I didn't realize how important having my natural voice was to me until I lost it. It's common to hear from the transgender community that the only answer to gender dysphoria is to take hormones. Some people believe that hormone therapy acts as a band-aid for the disorder rather than a solution. Knowing that this trend is on the rise these days with more therapists and doctors on the bandwagon, it's not surprising that we are starting to see more people detransitioning, like Kat has done once they've overcome some of their prior psychological diagnoses. So since then, you know, I, I detransitioned and I'm, I'm living as a woman again, since then I've just, I've worked on healing my voice and healing from my gender dysphoria as well, mostly through uh, meditation and some other practices. But, um, so yeah, that's just kind of where I'm at. And I, I want to speak out about this issue because the numbers of detransitioners is the number of detransitioners is growing rapidly. And I think a lot of it has to do with just these hormones being handed out so easily in some places and just what I consider to be a, a very harmful one-sided narrative about transitioning. And because the fact is that it doesn't help everyone to transition. 
and you know and and even people who are they they claim to be happier and you know i i i believe them when they say that you know but but there are concerning health issues in basically every case uh, when it comes to medically transitioning and you know the practices are very experimental and i think a lot of people don't know that a lot of people think that you know it's it's been well tested and you know that's part of the the narrative behind medical transition is the best option is you know that there's like all the science behind it and how old were you when you first started feeling differently uh the memory that comes to mind from around that time is just uh like being in the car sitting in the car and watching like uh, a dad with like his his two sons who were both shirtless in public um like like at the park or something and uh i remember looking at that and, and thinking like wow, I really want to be shirtless. Like that just looks so, so freeing. And, uh, you know, and, and I just, even at that age, like, um, you know, five to seven years old, I, I knew that like one day I, I would grow up to be a woman and that made me feel really uncomfortable. Like I, I didn't want to grow breasts. I, I just didn't really want any of it. And, you know, I think it had to do with some trauma I experienced related to, being a girl at that age and then just also kind of the toxic media representation of women. And, you know, uh, even in, during the nineties, like the media represent representation of women was pretty sexist <laughs> and limiting. Now, when you said that you went to that doctor and he really didn't do much mental evaluation, he talked to you over the phone, prescribed you the testosterone in the beginning did you feel like um, your mood was lifting? Did you feel like you were feeling better? What was the change that made you keep going with that? And I don't remember, did you mention how old you were around that time as well? Yeah, so, so when I actually started medically transitioning, I was 28 years old. So I, I did wait quite a while for various reasons. Um, but yeah, initially my energy levels improved. I felt like a slight euphoria. Um, my mood was a lot more stable and obviously like your period stops almost right. My, my period start stops almost right away. And so the kind of mood and emotional fluctuations that come with having your monthly cycle stopped. And so, yeah, I mean, at first I felt great. I was getting stronger. I'd always wanted to be able to like lift heavier weights. And, you know, within like two months I was lifting heavier than I'd, I've ever been able to in my life. So uh, I felt kind of superhuman. Um, and like, that was great at first. Um, but I, I think just for me, like the, the health issues started happening so quickly. Um, and, you know, some people don't have health issues for like, 10 years or something like, like they feel all right for like a long time. But I think for me, given that I had already suffered from an eating disorder, um, which does damage to your body. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd struggled with alcoholism. So both of those things, you know, anorexia, severe anorexia and, um, repeated alcohol abuse, um, are hard on the liver and like, of course your other organs. And so my, my theory is that that had something to do with like why I experienced side effects so quickly. Um, but yeah, I think that if I, if I hadn't like lost my voice and, and started having the other side effects that I was having, I think I definitely would have continued with the testosterone because 
you know, there, there is somewhat of a like euphoric antidepressive effect, but, um, but also it was like, there were some negative effects emotionally too. Like I, I did feel like I was more, uh, if someone were to upset me rather than like kind of feeling sad and more internalizing it, I would be more prone to like getting agitated and like angry at them. So, so I felt a little bit more like on edge and, uh, and I also, as an artist, like I felt cut off from my emotions and it was like, it was hard to cry and like harder to, uh, name and express emotion. And so that was kind of weird for me too. Like it wasn't, I, I thought that would be positive because there's such a stigma around crying and being emotional in this society, but not being able to experience that was like super weird for me. Do you have a dog? Learn unleashed potential dog training secrets with Duke Ferguson. This free video series will get you pro training tips so you can get your dog's attention, eliminate behavioral problems, and enhance your relationship in just 20 minutes a day. Sign up at sallyhendrick.com forward slash dog training. I've been talking with people about this topic for a little bit. And the interesting part, I think, is that a doctor told me that they have found that someone transitioning to be a man, that when they take the testosterone, that they find that they no longer have this ability to cry, ability to express certain emotion, which would make total sense, you know, and it's how it kind of is in the real world anyway, between men and women for for the typical most part. So I think that it's probably almost like there's a Petri dish happening right now with a lot of experimentation and there's going to be a lot to learn with probably hormonal therapies, other types of drugs that are not so much for the psychoactive healing, but for some sort of hormonal healing that lifts the spirits, but maybe doesn't go completely in the direction of, you know, gender dysphoria, having to, you know, go over to the other side. I don't know. It's just a theory that I kind of have. Do you have any insight on anything like that? And, and, and after that, I want to talk about the uh, testifying that you did in California. I think there are so many areas in our society that need healing and, um, like I, I just, uh, gosh, this is, this is such a huge topic, but, um, I mean, like just things like, like diet and, and lifestyle and, and level of stress. And I mean, definitely, I think that the pandemic we've seen a, re, a surge in mental illness. Um, you know, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with, with isolation and, you know, like our agriculture system and the food that we're putting in our bodies every day is, uh, I mean, that can send someone out of balance just by itself. I mean, talking about hormones, I mean, you know, your biochemistry is very interconnected and it's very dependent on diet and the chemicals you're consuming from the atmosphere. And then there's, you know, there's emotional and, and spiritual health as well. And I, I think that just, the way our world is set up and how there's so much focus on productivity at, at all costs. And, you know, we, we live in a world where you're expected not to be very emotional and 
you know, sh like showing emotion is, we always consider it to be a sign of instability or mental illness. And, uh, you know, I think that that kind of results in a lot of young women feeling sort of dysphoric just about having their emotions. But, uh, you know, if we didn't live in a society where it was stigmatized, I, I, I feel like just sort of the female existence would be a lot more widely accepted and, and people wouldn't feel so ashamed or uh, um, uncomfortable with themselves. And, and, you know, same goes for men too, because uh, I think at an individual, uh, or I, I think at a, at a population, there are certain behaviors and at a population level, there are certain uh, behaviors and emotional reactions that we kind of expect from men and women. And, you know, like kind of the stereotype is that for men, you know, anger and assertiveness, like those are more expected versus for women, like tears are, I guess, kind of more culturally accepted. But, you know, at an individual level, there are men who are deeply emotional and, and do cry a lot. And, and there are women who hardly ever cry at all. And uh, so, you know, I, I think that uh, it's beautiful, like, however a person is, um, I, th I think it is the way they were born and it's it's how they are naturally. And, and there's just something beautiful about that. Um, but I think the way our culture is set up, it can, it can make, you know, men who are emotional in particular, like it, it can make them feel ashamed. And uh, I think it can feel, it can make them feel like they're not really men if, if they don't behave in like this certain way, according to society and, and the same goes for women. And so I think in order to really look at this problem um, or rather this, uh, this phenomenon of gender dysphoria, widespread gender dysphoria, I, I just think we need to look at our like entire culture and our lifestyle and you know, what is really the root causes of all of this? Because I, I think if we were able to look at everything uh, from a holistic perspective, that we would be able to solve lots of other problems, uh, you know, gender dysphoria just being one of them. I think, you know, mental illness, physical illness, um, all of that is very dependent on lifestyle. Do you want to stand out from the crowd with your content? Come discover how to market yourself as an expert, as a change maker, as a positive influence on other people's lives. With the Exponential Marketing Club, you will learn the ins and outs of content marketing that makes a difference in the world. Visit sallyhendrick.com forward slash club. Now, speaking of like something that feels very official and... Um, you know, prominent and gives, gives you a lot of credibility on this topic is you recently testified to the California Senate for uh, some sort of legislation. Could you go into that and explain what happened? Absolutely. Um, so recently there was a piece of legislation in California called Senate Bill 923. And basically what this legislation was about was that it would require all medical professionals in California. So, you know, that's doctors, it's, you know, even like the receptionists at doctor's offices who still interact with patients. Um, they would have to go to this training, which, which would cost, you know, mil at least millions of dollars, um, by the way, to pull this off, but they would have to attend this training that is taught by 
by trans activists who are not medically trained and you know ideologically driven and they would essentially be training the doctors on how to respond to patients presenting with gender dysphoria uh you know regardless of the doctor's medical expertise and whether you know they personally believed it was in the best interest of the patient um and if a doctor you know like like in my position for instance if, if i went to a doctor and and said you know well i i have suffered from an eating disorder for 15 years um i'm i i have uh i've abused alcohol um i have severe you know depression and anxiety and you know the doctor said something like well you know maybe it's it's not a good idea for you to start hormones right away like i you know i would recommend that you go to a psychologist or psychiatrist first um so according to this legislation, if a doctor were to say that to me and I were to complain, uh, you know, about how I was treated by this doctor, um, they would be required to go back to this training and repeat it as many times as they got complaints. So it's horrendously expensive and it's, you know, it's going against the expertise of the medical providers who, again, have been through medical school and, um, you know, so it's essentially going to make this push for affirmative care as, you know, the standard of care, which harms a lot of people because uh, we're hearing from more and more detransitioners that they don't feel like their mental health issues uh, were addressed and that, you know, their providers didn't really search for the root causes before just kind of prescribing them hormones immediately we're going to see that be becoming much more widespread in california and it's it's going to look more similar to canada where uh it's actually illegal to to question someone's gender identity um in a medical setting because that's considered conversion therapy so yeah i i testified against that and, and shared my personal story of detransitioning and how you know affirmative care really I feel like failed me as a person and, you know, it wasn't particularly well received. Uh, basically two of the senators called me, well, sort of passively called me a liar saying that it's, it's not true that you can, that they were saying that you have to have a certain number of mental health sessions to get hormones, which is, it's, it's just so verifiably, verifiably false. Cause if you look at Planned Parenthood's website, for one thing, they, they promise that uh, you can get hormones on the first visit. Um, so, so anyway, yeah, it wasn't well, it wasn't well received, but I'm still glad that I stood up there and said something because, you know, I, I want to change, I, I want to change California and I, I want to change the world in terms of how we deal with gender dysphoria. So, yeah. So as you're going through this with the California legislature, what is it exactly that trans activists are wanting to happen? What trans activists are advocating for on a large scale is that they want what's called informed consent um, for uh, receiving hormones and, and surgeries. They want that to be the model that is uh, used everywhere because um, according to their, their ideology, um, they believe that, you know, if a person has gender dysphoria, the best thing to do is, is to immediately affirm them. And, uh, you know, if you have dysphoria, that means you are trans, meaning, you know, you are 
a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa, or, you know, if you're non-binary, you're basically, you know, part male and part female trapped in the body that you have. And, um, so in order to like align the, the psyche with the body, the best thing to do is, is to affirm as soon as possible and, you know, get started with the medical changes that this person wants. And so what they want people to be able to do is just go into a doctor's office and, you know, bas- basically self diagnose and say, I am trans, I-, I have gender dysphoria. And then they just want it to be as easy as signing a form and getting hormones the same day. And so this is what they are pushing for everywhere. So, you know, sometimes people will argue, well, in other places, you know, like, like you're privileged because you're from California and it's, it's easy to get them in California, but you know, other places it's this whole process. But the thing is, 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 is if you look at the, what the activists are saying, um, they are trying to get laws changed so that it will be like it is in Canada everywhere where it's illegal to even question someone's gender identity or possibly bring up deeper issues that could be behind it. Um, so, so yeah, that's basically what affirmative care entails. It's just immediate affirmation and then you know, progressing according to the parent, to the the parents, the, uh, the patient's wishes rather than having like an honest medical evaluation or, you know, according to like what the physician thinks is best. It's, it's more the patient, uh, telling the, the physician what they want rather than like the other way around, which is what we see in other, in other areas of mental health care. So what is your actual hope for what's going to happen are you involved with any kind of organizations that are helping? Are they wanting you to come speak or be a spokesperson, if you will, for this? What's the next step from here? I, I wouldn't say that I'm directly involved with any particular organizations at this point, uh, but I I have gotten involved with, there's a movement about detransition awareness that is um you know, it's, it's right now, I know it's, uh, it's international. And so there were, there were demonstrations in several States this in the United States this year, um, as well as, you know, in the UK overseas, I'm not even entirely sure on everywhere there there were demonstrations, but it is, you know, very widespread. And uh, so I did participate in a demonstration on D-Trans Awareness Day, March 12th. And you know, that was kind of cool actually meeting up with people in person and, um, you know, the type of people who are involved in this activism are typically, you know, detransitioners such as myself, but also parents who have had young children who they, they suffered from gender dysphoria or expressed that they might be trans. And so the parents, you know, wanting to help their kid, they took them to a gender therapist or, you know, doctor and, or pediatrician and this, these providers just immediately affirmed them, you know, sometimes without even like the parents' knowledge, like the school will affirm them or, you know, they don't even know what's going on with their kid. And, um, you know, and I think there's completely cause for concern when, you know, a, a kid's deeper issues and their past and just, you know, all the factors aren't being considered and they're just kind of being put down this path of, affirmation because because the thing that's dangerous about that path is obviously that they could end up on puberty blockers which um 
you know, puberty blockers for gender dysphoria. There's never been clinical trials. Same thing with cross-sex hormones. There isn't really quality research that it's um, that it's safe or that it's effective in treating gender dysphoria. So, um, so I think just spreading awareness about detransitioners is is the first step. Like that's extremely important because trans activists are trying to silence detransitioners. They really are. I, I've had so many people online just tell me to shut up and not share my story because I'm a small minority of trans people. And, and that, you know, by me sharing my experiences, I am harming trans people and, uh, and invalidating the community. And I just, I just think it's so important for someone who's considering transition to, to see both sides, you know, like, like some people, um, you know, apparently they, they seem to be happy and well-adjusted after transition, but then there are a lot of people who do not benefit from transition at all. In fact, it, you know, it causes a lot of harm in their life. So I, I just think it's, it's so important that people hear all sides of the situation. Well, that makes sense. I mean, we, we don't really know what's going on with other people until we get into their story and into um, their experience and dismissing that is not okay. Just like with any kind of political issues or whatever's going on in the legislation, there's always going to be opposing sides and there's going to be extremes and then there's going to be, you know, the more moderate in the middle. And this is just something that is, it's so extreme to a lot of people, this entire personality or dysphoria or situation or condition, it is very different and people are afraid of that. And so you've got a group that is, you know, being against it. Then you've got people who are advocating for themselves and everybody deserves, you know, some sort of say in, in stake in the game. They need to be able to express their opinions. So I appreciate the fact that you're doing this because it, it does go against the grain of this larger movement that's happening right now. Turn what you know into what you do. Join the platform with the most ways to monetize what you know, whether it's online courses, coaching, memberships, podcasts, newsletters, communities, or more. Kajabi gives you all the tools you need to build, market, and sell it with just a few clicks. Sign up at sallyhendrick.com forward slash Kajabi. That's K-A-J-A-B-I. Yeah, uh, just really quickly, if I could, I, I just want to add that um, there's kind of this this stigma around detransitioners that that we're all just transphobic or, you know, that we don't really we don't care about trans people or we're trying to harm the community. And I just want to say that, you know, at least for the detransitioners I know and for myself, certainly that couldn't be further from the truth. Like I have immense compassion for people who suffer from gender dysphoria and you know it's something I've struggled with myself but just what I want to see in the world and what you know what most detransitioners I, I think want to see is just better options for people with gender dysphoria and we want medical providers who actually listen to us and, and understand us and you know treat us as a whole person and I, I don't think anyone needs a one size fits all generic 
treatment approach that's like a, a factory conveyor belt. I, I don't think that's the compassionate way to approach this. So, you know, the main thing that we want is just, you know, more research into alternative treatment methods, as well as following up with these people who have transitioned long-term. Cause you know, one of the things that is lacking in this area of research is just, is, is long-term data in general, as well as, you know, physical health effects, as well as mental health effects. So, I mean, really my intention is to, is for everybody to be happy and healthy and, and just receive the best care uh, that they possibly could. And um, so, yeah, I, I have immense compassion and, and my heart goes out to other people who are suffering from gender dysphoria. And, you know, I, I just want everybody to be happy and healthy. And that's, and that's really what I'm all about. It, it doesn't have anything to do with like judging anybody or um, attacking the trans community or anything like that at all. Speaking of gender affirmation, Vanderbilt Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee has been in the news lately due to an expose by Matt Walsh. Apparently they were doing gender affirming surgeries, not just gender affirming care involving puberty blockers or long-term birth control measures. The Tennessee legislature made swift moves to make it illegal, at least until adulthood. Thank you for listening today. My name is Sally Hendrick. Be sure to visit our website for show notes and more information on how you can inspire others. If you would like to contribute content to our magazine, please apply on our website at shoutyourcause.com.